Welcome to Code Mangs, a podcast for future Wolverines in healthcare. My name is Gerald, a pre-health advisor at Noonan, and I will be your host for today's episode. Okay, today's special guest is Don Dewar, a career advisor and operations manager in the Office of um, Academic and Career Advising at Michigan State University and College of Osteopathic Medicine. Today, our conversation, kind of similar to our previous episode with Dr. Tooks, um, is talking about that transition and how, how students can transition from undergrad to medical school and how to best utilize and optimize career advising um, to shape their experience and goals. Um, to transition into our conversation for today, Dawn, would you mind, um, you know, just saying hello and then also kind of talking about your philosophy for career advising in um, ACA? Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me, Gerald. I'm very excited to chat with you and hopefully uh, share some great advice with future physicians. Um, so I've been in my role here at Michigan State University for six years now, going on seven. Um, and uh, as a career advisor, I think the most important thing that I focus on with my students is really a partnership. I want to partner with my students. I want to take on their goals and make them my goals because at the end of the day, I'm here as a support system for each student that I work with in order to get them to their end goal of becoming the best physician in the best specialty for them. Yes. Thank you so much for that and that background about, you know, your philosophy and just who you are. So to get more into our conversation, a lot of our students, like, they like to know specific resources. Like we just can't say, oh, like, um, you can do this and you can do, they want to know like what specifically, uh, what do they have access to? So for a lot of our students right now, when they're looking at their target schools and are considering MSU's DL program, um, from the career advising perspective, what specific career resources are available to support students during that transition period and how can they um, effectively access those resources? Great question. So I think what resources I'll talk about are available to everyone, um, mm -hmm. but specifically to MSU Com, we provide these resources so they are free when a student is matriculating. So one of the big things that I encourage students to look at and that all MSU Com students will have access to, and then anyone who is looking for medical school information information on future physicians. Um, it's called Careers in Medicine, and that's through the AAMC. And it's a subscription service where students can log in, view the different specialty types. There's a ton of assessments that are built into the website that go over like your preference in medicine, your skills, your barriers to choosing specialties, really anything that could be impacting your choices in terms of picking a specialty, picking where you wanna go in for residency and beyond, Careers in Medicine is a great resource for that. So that's one thing that students can use. Another thing that a lot of students come into medical school already thinking about is, okay, where am I actually going to go to residency? How am I gonna get there? What do I need to do? What do I need to be looking at? And a great resource for that, and this is free for everyone, um, it's Frida, F-R-I-E-D-A, and that is a resource where you can go set up a free account, 
type in any specialty that you are interested in, and it's going to bring up all the accredited programs in the country. And that's a great way for you to start seeing how many positions are available in the country for your desired specialty. Get an idea for what you, you're going to be expected to achieve in medical school and bring with you into the application process. So those are two great resources nationally. Um, now, if you come to MSUCOM specifically, our services as career advisors start day one. We're a big part of orientation. Um, with our new curriculum that launched for the class of 2027, we're built into the curricular aspects of MSUCOM. Um, so your career advisors here at MSUCOM are with you from day one through match and graduation, which I think is really impactful for students because we can build that partnership. We can build those relationships early. You're not just mm -hmm. given to us right before you go into the match. And then we have to learn three years of who you are in a very short period of time. We can really help you grow and develop along the way. Um, and think about things that you enjoy doing. So uh, biggest question I get is, what do I have to do for residency? How do I get there? Well, you need to look at who you are holistically. And I can start that day one with my students and talk to them about involvement in extracurricular activities and student organizations, in research, if that's something they're interested in, elective courses, all of those things that are offered, but maybe are harder to navigate for a student. I think you bring up such great points because um, even for our office, like this past cycle has, our policy with working with students have changed. We used to only work with students in their junior year and senior year, typically when they would be applying for medical school. But now we recently opened it back up to first year and sophomore students. Mm -hmm. um, and so now we're really able to work with students up until, you know, from the beginning when they and then when they do actually apply so we can we're just not getting to know you in a couple months you know we're actually building relationships to help them kind of figure out the different skills and values as physicians because i think especially if you're applying to msu i would say you need to have a foundation of what they value as a program, but also like, what do you value as a person and as a physician? Because that shows through in your application. And when I'm meeting with students more often than none, they don't really, they don't really have, they haven't really, I would say, found those different values or mm -hmm. skills that they are, that they excel in or really have, um, or something that they're passionate in, they're kind of just focused on, you know, getting into medical school. And it's so important not to just get into medical, medical school, but to also have know like who you are as a future physician, you right. know? And so I think um, you, you just bring up so many excellent points, getting familiar with d the AAMC for one, <laughs> yeah. you know, knowing what that website looks and feels like, you know, um, and I, I know one thing a lot that I've been talking with students who are kind of figuring out MD or DO or both, um, matching. Would you be able to talk a little bit more about the matching process and rates um, for students who may be considering DO, but a little bit unsure because of some of the the things that they hear, as I would say, in like mm -hmm. the streets or, you know, um, through word of mouth that yeah. DL matching rates are different than MD, which they could be. But I think for, for MSU's DL program is very different. Yeah. 
Well, I can very proudly say that since I've been working at MSUCOM, we have consistently held a 98 to 99% match rate for our graduating classes. So we are consistently taking our groups of 300 or so students and successfully matching them across the country into residency. Um, now, matching looks a little bit different for everyone. And I have to, I, I like to emphasize, I don't have to, but I like to emphasize mm -hmm. that residency matching has really evolved in recent years to becoming more holistically focused on students. Yes, there are still important things like your grades, like your board performance, like your professionalism. Those things are all big factors when considering a match into residency. But like you had just mentioned, who you are, what your goals are, what your values are in medicine, those are all things that are going to show through your application. And um, really for the first time in I think 20 years, ARIS, which is the Electronic Residency Application Service, so the main residency application that most students will use, updated. And with one of those, one of the things that updated most on there is a more impactful reflection on experiences and impactful experiences. So when it comes to matching, I really try and work with my students to think about who you are holistically. I know that there's a perceived check the box mentality that if I do A, mm -hmm. B, and C, I'm automatically gonna get into residency. And unfortunately, every year I do see students who on paper may be a perfect applicant. They have the scores, they have the grades, they have the involvement, they have everything we want them to see, um, but they go unmatched in the main residency match process. And it, it can be a myriad of reasons, maybe a bad interview day, or maybe they just didn't have a strong strategy. Um, but the match process is unique to everyone. And that's why we, as career advisors here at MSUCOM, want to make sure that we are giving our students a one-on-one -on -one meeting with advisors when they need them. Um, we have a few required ones as well here at MSUCOM, um, but we want to make sure that as you go through the match, you have that. Now, if you're looking globally, so looking at the NRMP, which is the National Residency Matching Program, that's the main match for most residents. Um, mm -hmm. You will see that the trend in DOs matching has increased. Now, keep in mind that up until 2020, there were two separate match processes. There was the AOA match for only DO students, and then the NRMP for allopathic and IMG mm -hmm. students, and DOs could participate if they wanted. So up until that point, the DO match rate on those reports is going to look a little bit lower than you would want it to be. However, since 2020 and the single accreditation merger in 2020, we have seen an exponential increase in the number of DO students that are matching. Um, nationwide, I think it's very important for students to consider when looking at schools, what their overall match rate is, what support do they have in place for a student mm -hmm. who goes unmatched, um, and what resources are available for students. So as you know, Gerald, because you are one of our editors, so what editing services do you have? Will you look at um, a CV? Will you look at a personal statement? Will you look at my application for me before I submit it? Those are big things because sometimes we can find what seems to be a silly mistake, but that might show to a program as lack of attention to detail. 
and we don't ever want that to happen. So services like that can be really impactful too for students. So when thinking of the match, yes, think of the match percentage. I think that's very important. But you also have to think of, okay, so if you're part of the 1% at MSUCOM who didn't match, what other resources do you have available? Do you continue to stay in touch with your alumni who don't match to help them through future match processes, which we do, um, and what services are provided? Now, I believe per accreditation for all U.S. medical schools, match rates have to be available on their websites. So like if you went to the MSUCOM website, find our outcomes page, you'll be able to look specifically at our overall match rates for the past, I think, six or seven years. Thank you so much for that, for that information. I think that is so, that is so important because we, even though our students are, you know, applying for programs, they should definitely be interviewing programs too to make sure this is a good mm-hmm. fit, you know. Um, and like you talked about the different services offered, like you so is that kind of reframing that mindset of I just want to get in. Okay, if you get in, here are some other things that could happen. How can they best support you? You know, if something happens and mm-hmm. And it's not the most ideal situation for you. Right. So those are definitely some questions to like write down, as mm-hmm. I say, you know, in your notebook or in your, in your on the Google Docs or something like that of questions to ask programs when you're going, when you're interviewing them, you're going on the campus tours and things like that, because you definitely want to be sure you're spending a lot of money and you definitely want to be sure you're getting the proper support that you feel is necessary for you. Absolutely. And some of the best resources mm-hmm is during your interview days, if you have opportunities to meet with current students, pick their brains. A lot of times Mm -hmm. they know exactly what kind of resources are available and when. Um, So I I think you put it perfectly, Gerald. When you are looking at medical schools, make sure you're interviewing them just as much as they're interviewing you because realistically, you're gonna be there for at least the next four years and you wanna make sure that it's a healthy, supportive environment. And I also think that they appreciate when they ask those type of questions too. You know, it, it shows that you are actually really interested mm-hmm. in knowing more about our program and truly seeing if this is a good, you know, joint venture for both of us, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so and to, to build off of that, I know that when I'm talking with students in, in my role in all the different levels, they're like, okay, what do I need to do in my freshman year? What do I need to do in my sophomore year? What do I need to do in my junior year? We tend to not do four-year plans. We tend to do an academic year of like what is obtainable and what you could do. But no, each semester could be different, you know. Um, is that the same for career advising? Should students be like, I should focus on, I should utilize career advising my first year this way and in the next year this way. How would you respond to a student with that mindset? So I think it goes back to the partnership that I tried to build with students and I'm going to meet you where your needs are. Um, And I know that our team of advisors here are very similar in that mindset. So if you are coming in day one saying, I know I wanna do this, tell me what I need to do to get there, that's fine. I've already had those for our class of 2027 and we're just now finishing semester one. So um, it happens, you walk onto campus, you're inspired, you know that you wanna do something, you come and sit with your career advisor and you tell them your goals. Great, I love those students, that's awesome. 
But I also have students who just know they want to be in medicine. They don't know what specialty. They don't know where medicine is going to take them. They know that this is their passion and they want to explore. And that's a totally different type of appointment to really have those those questions that we're asking of, well, what are your interests? What barriers mm-hmm. do you have? Um, what what do you enjoy doing? Do you like the surgical aspect of things versus um, the more non-surgical patient relationship building side of things? So I think there's not one way to advise in medical school. Um, the Your advisor, whomever you choose to work with, and I always say, shop around for your advisor because you may not jive Mm -hmm. with your advisor right away and that's okay. I have some students that meet with me who decide to change advisors and that's perfectly fine. Find somebody who's going to meet you where you are and advise you based on what advising style you need. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that. I really do. Um, So we should also talk about, because you work with military students as well. I do. A very specific, and I feel like we, we don't talk about military students often in these conversations. Um, so can you just talk about, like, what does your role look like with military students? And I'm curious to also know, um, where have you seen, like, a good portion of your, mili- your military students um, go towards after they, you know, they graduate and they're going to their specialties. Yeah. Um, so yes, you're correct. So part of my job is I am the lead advisor for our HPSP, which is the Health Profession Scholarship Program for the military. Now the military has three branches that have a medical program. That's the Air Force, Army, and the Navy. So I work with all three branches and I'm actually the, the national leader for the ACOM, uh, which is the American Association of Colleges of Osteopathic Medicine, and I lead their military and HPSP group as well. So um, if you have HPSP questions in the osteopathic world, I'm usually your gal. Other schools usually come to me, so I have a lot of background there. I am not affiliated with the military. I kind of fell into this as a challenge of, we don't have enough information, let's get more information, Um, and it developed from there. So one of the biggest things with the military is that timelines can be different, the match process is very different, Um, they have some more obligations than other students have. Uh, Like for MSUCOM, we start in the summer. So Mm -hmm. our students started this year, the week of July 10th was our orientation. So that means that HPSP students aren't able to go through their officer training before they come to medical school. So our students actually have to do it during medical school, whereas other students, depending on their timeline of commissioning, may be able to do it before going to medical school, may be able to do it after year one. Um, Mm -hmm. Again, MSUCOM is a bit different. We are all year round, so our students can't even go to officer training after year one. They go after year two before starting their clerkship training in years three and four. So I think the biggest thing with military, it's a great opportunity for students. Your medical school is paid for. There's a lot of support and resources that the military has. Um, There are definitely some downsides. Obviously, students have to think about the commitment, the time that they're going to be paying back, uh, what it means to not have as many options for a a match, um, because obviously, One thing with the military is if you're going through the HPSP program, they're going to try and keep you in the military 
for residency training. So that limits where you can do your residency training. And those are all things that I think students need to definitely consider as they're making the decision for A, medical school, and B, getting support through the military mm-hmm. that way. Um, for the match process for the military, it's what is called an early match process. So the military match actually happens in December before graduation. So students typically know their match six months before they're graduating, um, which can be really nice. Um, but again, you're limited to the military bases that offer your residency type. I wouldn't say there's one specific specialty that I see a lot Mm -hmm. of students go into other than emergency medicine. That's just a popular specialty overall for students. Um, But I have had students do pediatrics. I've had students do diagnostic radiology. Um, I have a student in Hawaii right now doing family medicine. Uh, So it really runs the gambit of what I see from my students. And I have a good mixture of students every year. I usually have around six to seven uh, military students. Um, This year for 2027, the class of 2027, I actually have 11, which is great to see. And I always have a mixture of the different branches. So again, knowing your advisor, working with your advisor early, but also one thing that military students really have to understand is that the military isn't great about giving information all the time. So you might be waiting, you might be waiting for them to pay your tuition, you might be waiting for orders, you might be waiting for other things, Um, but know that an advisor can really help drag that along for you and get that done faster. Um, so I think it's it's definitely something that's not talked about a lot. It is a great mm-hmm. opportunity. And we are, as advisors, we all are still learning because the military changes probably more frequently than med- medical uh, schools change. So I learn something new every year um, about the military match process. But it is Uh, definitely something that is doable. It is something that is absolutely going to be beneficial if it's something you're interested in. Um, Just make sure that, again, utilizing resources at your school, if it's something you're interested in, making sure your school has those resources. I know MSU Mm -hmm. Com is unique that I'm specifically the military advisor. I know there are other schools across the country that don't necessarily have that. They kind of just throw it around. Um, and then another thing, there is a military student organization. MSU Com has a chapter uh, for osteopathic students. It's called uh, SAMOPS, um, and that's a great resource for students as well. Okay. Thank you so much for that. You know, I'm, I'm so curious because even in my role, and in, in, I'm newer to the University of Michigan, so still getting familiar with what offices and resources are available but I know from my office specifically that we don't have, um, especially pre-health, we don't have someone who actually specializes or focuses on military students. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even sure if, you know, the application process to getting into medical school, how different that is or certain specific requirements. Um, so, and, and also, I, I should mention that not only are pre-health students listening to this podcast, but also people of the community, other pre-health advisors. Um, are there any, 
I guess, anything that you would recommend for advisors as well to know about if we might work with a military student um, that will be helpful in helping them apply or even just connecting with them to get more familiar with medical school in general? Yes. So um, based on what I know, the application to medical school is going to be the same. What is a little bit different for military students is going to be the application to their branch. So my best piece of advice and how I started my journey with HPSP military advising, reach out to your local recruiters. Um, Find a health profession recruiter. There are many, many of them Um, here in Michigan. I know a lot of them, (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. but even contact them around your your school, around the school that you're intending to go to, um, just so you know what they can help you with and what they can offer. Because there's also different kinds of scholarships available. There's four-year scholarships. Some branches have three-year scholarships. Some have a program that is after medical school, once you match into a residency, um, it's called the Financial Assistance Program or FAP, and that's for residents to mm-hmm. get some reimbursement. So there's a lot of programs out there. I think really the best thing you can do is get in touch with your health recruiters in the area um, and get to mm-hmm. know them. And Gerald, if you want the contacts for the ones, the Air Force, we share for Ann Arbor and East Lansing. Um, mm-hmm. Army, they have a couple different ones in Southeast Michigan, um, and then the Navy, we share the Navy as well. So, um, you know, talk, talk to people in your area, talk to other advisors and make sure that you're offering these resources for students, because I think they, that when the decision is made to pursue an HPSP scholarship, it's very isolating because it's just that student working with the recruiter and they have no one to support them. And I think as undergraduate advisors, bridging that gap and being that support can be really Mm -hmm. helpful to say, okay, here is what I can do for you. Here's what the military can do for you. And when I hand you off to your medical school, here's what you should be asking. I would love that information. That would be so helpful. I will send you an email. I have it all. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Wow. That is so enlightening. So I know we talked about, you know, the tools that you use in your advising sessions and things like that um, for students to help to help them realize, you know, the their, their career path and their goals. Are there any tools outside of the classroom or methods outside of the classroom that would be beneficial that students should do to help them kind of figure out their path and what they, you know, other like different specialties to consider, develop their professional goals in in different capacities. Um, Are there any recommendations there at all? I think one of the best things that students can do is shadowing, especially if you don't know what you want to do. I know it's scary to cold call physicians and say, hey, I'm interested in pursuing a, a MD or DO degree. Um, would I be able to shadow you? But that's a great way to see the day-to-day responsibilities of a physician. Will you be able to go in on procedures? No. Will you be able to know too much about the the patient um, profile? Probably not. But you can see mm-hmm. what their normal working hours is. And when students come to medical school and ask what they can be doing in pre-clerkship, what they can be doing first year, One of the first things I ask my students is, have you ever shadowed somebody in your specialty? 
Have you ever shadowed another specialty? And if the answer is no, that's really the first thing I'm going to recommend to them because that's firsthand knowledge of the specialty and the profession. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I... I would say if you can connect with the medical schools that you are interested in and see if they have any kind of like alumni mentoring program or if they have any alumni Mm -hmm. that work with the admissions office uh, that you can talk to or even current students that you can talk to um, for like or if the or if this medical school has any like pre-college programs or um, things like that, I would look into now. We live in the digital age of Google and everything. So even just Google searching, like, what does it take to be an anesthesiologist? Those -hmm. things can be really Mm -hmm. helpful for students because a lot of times students don't understand that the length of training for residency can be different. It can be anywhere from three to five years, depending on your specialty. And um, that's a big thing that you want to consider because you have four years of medical school And then you have at least three years of residency training up to five or more, depending on if you go for a fellowship as well. Yes. Yes. And I'm I'm wondering, do we have any organizations at MSUCOM or student-led organizations that build connection with um, students who may be coming into the institution or applying or something like that in some form of like mentorship capacities or a career development? Yeah. So I know MSUCOM has some pre-college programs available, um, but we do have um, our SNMA, which is the Student National Medical Association. I know they mm-hmm. have like a mentoring program. I think they call it like a pathway program. Um, that can be helpful. Our individual student organizations will host events once you're in our matriculation uh, f- like line. If you've applied, um, we have a lot of events. Even I host some events um, or our career advising office, our academic advising office will host some pre-matriculation events for students when you're still in that deciding phase. Um I always say, you know, follow follow these institutions on your social medias, Instagram, Twitter, whatever it may be, because a lot of times that's where they're releasing event dates and events like pre-college sessions. Yes, yes. Um, so that really kind of concludes our episode for today. Okay. So is there anything, any last words that you would like to give our students and community at the University of Michigan? Hopefully we're extending far across just the Ann Arbor, Flint, and, um, and Dearborn. Um, I think the best thing that you can do is don't give up. If you don't get your MCAT score that you're looking for the first time, take it again. Take your time, find resources and a support system. I think the biggest thing that I see with students coming into medical school is that they lose their support system because they think that all of their time goes into medical school and they can't do anything else. Um, Develop your study skills early. Uh, So time management, test taking skills, develop all of those early, find assistance with those because it's really gonna help when you get here because you're gonna be balanced on many different things once you're in medical school. And it's easy to get behind, but know 
that if you're at a school who supports you, offers you resources, mm -hmm. has has an open and inviting advising team, um, which hopefully most schools do. I'm a little biased. I know our 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 team is very open with students. We want you to do walk-in appointments. We want you to make appointments with us. Um, but never, never hesitate to ask for help. I think that's the biggest thing with transitioning is it's okay to not be okay during your transition. And we want you to ask for help and get that early assistance versus getting to a point where it's too late. Yes. Thank you so much for those kind words and encouraging words. Um, and taking the time to be with be with us today. I think I've learned a lot about career advising and especially with military students um, and recognizing that deficit even in our community and how we can improve. So I very much appreciate this conversation today. Well, thank you all for listening and we will catch on the next episode. Take care. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Code Maze, produced by our own wonderful Maria Rabb on the University of Michigan campus in Ann Arbor. Our music, Total Happy Up and Sunny, is by Sasha Ande. Be sure to follow Code Maze on Spotify or check out past episodes on the LSA Academic Advising Center website, pre-health section. Thank you and see you soon in advising.